Hi, and welcome to our Proactive Coaching Podcast. My name is Bruce Brown, and we're really excited today to have Coach Becky Carlson from Fearless Coach LLC as our guest. Uh, coach Carlson is is, is the head um, r- rugby coach at the at Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac uh, in Hamden, Connecticut. It's a private university, and she has um, taken her team in the past to three national championships, uh, three in a row, if I'm not mistaken. But she is not only a very successful coach, but she's also uh, a very, very skilled author. She is a, a great writer. Uh, I, I love reading anything that she that she writes. Um, probably her most notable piece that she's um, gotten the most attention for is one called An Open Letter to the Athlete We Must Stop Recruiting. And so there's there's a lot here. She's a, she's strong in her opinions and, and strong in her coaching and strong in her philosophy and and the kind of people that we love to talk to, the people that are difference makers in kids' lives. So, Coach Carlson, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for having me on, Bruce. I'm, I'm thrilled because I'm such a proactive coaching fan and just seeing all the content and taking so much of the foundation of what you've learned to even my own team is, is, is pretty amazing to be on here chatting with you. So I'm just I'm grateful that you've, uh, you've given me time today. Well, I really want this to be your stage, Coach, and, and uh, I, I, I want you to kind of just go ahead and go as long on any topic as you want. Uh, uh, I just, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you, and we, we talked before about a topic that uh, is, you know, it's something that coaches face on, on when do you let a, a, an athlete go from your team? At what point is, do you say it's, it's more important to the team uh, to, it will be better off without this person and, and be able to do that with care. So go get them. <laughs> so yeah, our players, you know, our, our players and, and our teams and, you know, letting them go and, and that whole phrase of act of care need to be recognized together. And I don't think that's something that our, our audience always equates with one another. And I want to talk today about this whole concept of what it means to have to let players go off of your roster so we can perhaps infuse some humanity back into the subject, not just for the athlete, but also for the coaches who are leading programs who have to make these really hard decisions. Now, Bruce, as a fearless coach, I like to talk about the issues that every coach experiences, but that you talk about because these particular issues tend to be accompanied by an army of heated public opinion. And that public opinion, you you know it well, it's typically manufactured by those outside of our profession that have either a limited or no mileage in the shoes of a coach or even someone charged with shaping and building a team. So my most, most of my fearless topics feel almost too powerful for many of my fellow coaches to combat, so they just don't. And, and most coaches in my network would rather coach than have to be a lawyer. And so their absence sometimes of defense in these conversations doesn't often surprise me, but it's also the niche where I fit in as a fearless coach to shine a light on the topic on their behalf. A lot of us as coaches tend to suffer in silence because we don't talk about this topic, especially it's, it's a seemingly taboo topic of letting players go. Most of us choose to deal with it independently within our own programs. And this is where coaches can feel incredibly torn, very much isolated and alone. But 
Bruce, you and I know that we have to talk about letting players go, cutting or eliminating members, however we want to say it. It's all a part of the circle of life of any team, program, or organization. And I've been around long enough in this profession that I know that even using the word elimination and athletes in the same sentence, you can just feel this unrelenting sense of tension when you're not surrounded by a group of familiar coaches who understand. So I would ask that anyone listening give this podcast a chance so we can all work together to help our athletes and parents and to support our coaches. Now, as a disclaimer, this discussion applying to the recreational levels and grade school participation it doesn't necessarily apply as much, but I want our listeners to think more the late high school, uh, college, and beyond years. So athletes that have been cut and eliminated, um, it, it's, it's been happening since the beginning of sport. It's really nothing new, but we see headlines now all the time about uh, litigation due to dissatisfaction. And I want to explore this with you, Bruce, in why this process feels so much harder today in 2022. And I've actually in my experience boiled this down to five five reasons that i've discovered in my experience as a fearless coach that this process of letting players go has become so arduous and that first one it stems off of administration and our our cultures being healthy and sustainable are often deeply affected by whether or not we have the support of our administrations unhealthy administrations typically have um, some semblance of a silo that separates their decision-making and processes from their coaches, which means issues on teams with specific players are not something that admins really understand until it comes time for the coach to make a decision or that the team culture is suffering so badly it forces the coach to choose between one athlete's behavior and the culture. Administrators not truly connected to their coaches or their teams they lead will often see this event more as a liability than perhaps viewing it as a lesson or opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. This can be a primary culprit that leads admins to second guess or hesitate, allowing their coach to follow through on their own standards. And as you say all the time, Bruce, holding true to standards and following through builds trust. Absolutely. your coaches know that and teams know this, but for admins, it can be seen as a burden or another parent meeting that the admin will have to sit through rather than a conversation that is vital to growth and development. And this is where the actual lesson itself of cutting a player risks being diluted or perhaps respun into being regarded as a personal attack or it's slapped with a label of mistreatment, which we know can turn quickly into an opportunity for social media or group parent pages and posts that find themselves operating void of really any context in the situation. And then we're arrived at the final stage, which is when a coach is labeled a bully, abusive, or targeting or excluding a player. So Mm -hmm. number one is, is not having the support of, the administration. All right, Becky, can I just add something there as a, as somebody who works a lot with high school coaches and administrators? Um, you know, you've got some administrators who really understand sport and really understand coaching and understand how it fits into their educational 
you know, whole whole picture. Um, but then you've got ones who are really in an athletic administration so they can move on to become a principal in high school or junior high school. And oftentimes what we've seen is, unless they truly understand sport and coaching, it's almost easier for them to find another coach than it is to have, has bad rapport with parents on their report, on their resume. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I think that administrative thing is one of the reasons why we have this revolving door of coaches at the high school level in so many different locations. Yeah, and I think that's, I, I would absolutely um, subscribe to that as, a, as being part of that, that number one. And I wouldn't say that it's, for, for sports that are non-revenue at the college level, I would, you know, say that that's not too far of a cry when mm. we talk about revolving doors in Division Two and Division Three, and even some mid-majors of Division One. So I think that's very, it's a very valid, um, it's a very valid point to make. So I think uh, number two on this list is inconsistent messaging of the mission. And when I say this, I think there's a tendency to view this as this process of letting go of a player as a coach decision versus the athlete, when in reality, cutting players should be about a coach making a decision between the athlete and the team itself. Mm-hmm. And if you're a leader who is really clear about commitment to culture, and Bruce, you say it all the time, as a coach, you would openly say to your players, please don't make me choose yeah. between your behavior and the team. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I will always choose team. Yeah. And when coaches are unclear about their mission or inconsistent or the dedication to culture is cloudy in that messaging, it makes it even harder for the athletes to offer any kind of serious buy-in. So if there isn't a very concerted and intentional campaign within your program to establish those healthy boundaries and what I it's referred to like as a crew over you mentality, then it makes it all the more shocking for parents and players to be able to understand why their specific behavior as an athlete or their child's behavior is cause for elimination. So number two is that inconsistent leadership messaging. So number three, this is, this is a big one for me because I think it, it points to a larger issue that we have socially in our society, but Number three is being cut from a sport is an ending. We don't, we don't take endings well no matter what they are, even as adults sometimes. Finality is hard in so many aspects of life, and saying goodbye to things isn't something we value at times because we only tend to see the ending and what we're losing and not what time or opportunities we could be experiencing if we let go. We do this in intimate relationships, jobs we won't let go of, toxic friendships. Um, Take this, for example, in in a society where we have, Bruce, we now have a reboot or a remake for absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. We we, we don't even talk about shows anymore that used to be on because if you wait long enough, it'll just come back. And (laughs) that means that we can be nostalgic again and we can feel good about or rally against it being a betrayal to the original. Either way, we get a say again, and that feels like we have some control. Now, athletics isn't like that. We don't we don't get a reboot when it's over, and I mean, unless you're Tom Brady. Right. <laughs> so, sports and and the moment you are no longer a part of it can be viewed as 
failure by those who really don't understand the ways in which that departure can be a new start or a really valuable lesson depending upon the details of the ending. And maybe, maybe Bruce, it isn't a dismissal due to behavior of the athletes displaying. Maybe it's a simple lack of skill or a tryout where the athlete didn't make the team, which is also difficult for many to even fathom, especially if you know, your core group of support around you is insisting that you have all the right tools and the right attitude, even if it's not accurate. So again, it's an unwelcome ending. So number three, we are not fully preparing our athletes in general to accept endings. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, so, you know, four here, the biggest misstep in number four is also the value we place on sports in our society. I'm a huge sports fan. Sports have been a huge part of my life. Um, but as adults, we we really aren't doing the work to show our young people their value outside of sports. If, if being a member of an athletic team is the sole shaper of our identities and our worth in this world, regardless of the reason why a player was eliminated, be it lack of skill or violation of team standard of code of behavior it's devastating for them and what is devastating for our kids can be devastating for us as parents i'm a parent i get it it's hard but our society's obsession right now with labeling exclusion as as this monster this is where it gets really dicey for coaches who are trying to walk that line and trying to keep everyone happy so many of us are actively trying to do the right thing for our program. And I think that's where we get into this quagmire of ideas that it's a lose lose for us as coaches. If we even mention exclusion as a solution, but the foundation around many of our athletes long before they populated our rosters is difficult, is a difficult set of challenges when they don't feel their value beyond the athletic competition stage. Yeah, completely. And, you know, one of the things that we talk to parents about in the parent presentation is for them to ask their their young, these are for young kids, probably high school or younger, what what is their identity? Who are they? And, you know, if the kid starts with, I'm a basketball player or I'm a softball player, that's a red flag. I mean, they're a son, they're a daughter, they're a friend, they're a cousin, they're a musician, they're a student, all these other roles that they've got. And so if that one role is at the very top of and the center of what they're doing, um, that's going to cause issues somewhere. Right. And I, again, I think there's a very big parallel between uh, between that, even at the lower levels and, and, and the upper levels. I see... Uh, in assignments that I've given to my own teams in the past, uh, just talking about how we give them an assignment called I am, and you just write I am on the paper and they fill it out. Mm-hmm. They can write whatever they want. And most of the time, the first thing is I'm a, I'm a rugby player. Yeah. And, and you know, you know, you have some work to do as a coach when you know, those are the athletes that, that are coming to you. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very much relevant. So number five uh, is, is probably the biggest one that I think is uh, it gets some people's ears perking up when you talk about this because it's pretty sensitive, but it is a big contributor to why this has been so difficult and this topic is tough. We have such a heightened sense over the topic of mental health because it's current and it's so frequently recycled throughout the athletic world it's pretty much everywhere you turn and in progress 
in this area like anything else that promotes meaningful change. It doesn't happen overnight without education and without encouraging a change within people's perspectives, but also within their hearts, because this, this resounding narrative, and with good reason, because we didn't talk about mental health this way even 10 years ago, and, and now it's at the forefront, but this resounding narrative and the messages that this epidemic largely rests on the shoulders of our coaches, it's made the two worlds of athletic performance and mental health collide in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it's created an environment of awareness that has made us made implementing some of the most basic consequences. Now this, this puzzle for educators that it wasn't before. And we do know so much more about mental health and sensitivity to the topic because, and because of this, there seems to be this mentality that's emerged and only grown stronger that says, well, regardless of what an athlete's behavior, effort, or commitment level is, it is solely the coach's responsibility to change that athlete. It's on the coach to put their energy into dragging that player back onto the wagon at all costs. It's this mantra that if a coach is really good at what they do, athletes don't quit they don't misbehave and they don't act in a way that's counterproductive to the team's mission. This it's just simply isn't true. It's not, it's not reality. So we have to work to come away from this assumption that molding young people isn't this team effort that involves other leadership components outside their athletic lives. There's parents, there's teachers, there's counselors, there's admins and there's peers. You can have a coach all day long, that is promoting a strong sense of culture to their athletes. And then those athletes may go home at night and be told by their parents and families that they don't have to listen to coach, listen to mom, listen to dad. It's, it, it, that is a pretty unwinnable battle at times as a coach to stand alone in your pursuit of standards. And if you're the only one echoing the need for boundaries, it can be an extra challenge. So I just think the industry hasn't caught up to the mental health support demand we have in education at all levels. So what you find is, you're, it, as a coach, is this perpetual cycle of dissatisfaction. So, you know, you cut an athlete for repeating, repeatedly violating team standards and rules. It means you risk being chastised for not helping the athlete enough, giving up on them, or you're being viewed as not a strong enough mentor. Mm-hmm. And what I, I see as a result of that, Bruce, is coaches are being criticized uh, by parents and often even admins find themselves distancing themselves from the coach based on apprehensions about possible repercussions. Wow. So, yeah. There's a lot there. That That's a huge yeah. one. And it's a sensitive one. And... I'm not sure if we've even got our arms around that yet, do we? <laughs> no, we, we, we really haven't. And if you think about this, when you sit down and you look at this as a coach, because the coaches that are in, in my space care deeply for their athletes as people, and, and the resounding um, message seems to be that, okay, we're presented here with two options. I keep this athlete, I spend 90% of my time trying to get them on board, and now I'm 10% on the rest of the team. That could be, those numbers don't have to be, it could be 60-40, right? That's, um, but regardless of when that's happening, spending so much time on one athlete, 
you risk losing the confidence of the rest of your squad, which ultimately can lead to a deterioration of performance all around. And then depending upon what level you might be out of a job. So it's not a healthy cycle to be in for, for the coach or the team when you're making these decisions and going through this in isolation. And I will say my colleagues and some of my favorite coaches and mentors in the business, Bruce, are absolutely drowning in the levels of struggle our athletes are having on the mental health front, Mm -hmm. along with the expectation that on top of coaching, culture building, recruiting, that we all have psychology degrees, which we don't have, the majority of us. And so we're talking about years of experience from really solid coaches who are now spending more time second-guessing the most obvious of decisions when it comes to their teams based on this internal megaphone of messaging that has promoted a sense of shame around even a remote contemplation of eliminating players, even when they no longer serve the mission or may be actively disinterested in being part of the program in the way the team needs them to be. Yeah, it is by far one of the most difficult areas of coaching. And you, you, you know, you touched a nerve with me because when you talked about you, you thought you could fix every kid, <laughs> that was me. And, and I came to the realization that that's not the case. You just can't, especially, I don't know about, I don't know, Becky, if you've experienced this, but uh, having worked with, um, with different teams at different levels, even at the professional level, it's like the older the athlete gets, the more entrenched they become in whatever behaviors have gotten them there. And it becomes more and more difficult to get them out. Do you have a deadline? Do you have a, do you have a, a sequence or a, a process that you use that helps you through this? Um, you know, I think I get to that part because what I want to do is I want to, I want to teach our audience, Bruce, how to reframe the reality of the ending of sport. Okay. And I think, I think when we talk about uh, a process it's really difficult to nail something down if if I don't coach your team. You have every it's interesting too, right? It's like a it's like a an elementary school class. You get new kids every single year. There's right. a new combination every single year. It's a new puzzle. It's a puzzle. Yeah, right. It's a brand new puzzle. And as soon as you get that puzzle figured out, somebody comes in and shakes the box <laughs> and says, Here you go, here's a brand new puzzle. And um, you know, if you want to look at disruptors in culture as you know people that make pieces disappear and you're like how do i finish this Mm -hmm. how do i actually finish this so that's that's really where i want to go with this on how to reframe this reality of the ending sport and how being let go off a roster can also be viewed as another form of love and care for the athlete but also for the team and for life lessons that we tout as being part of sport so First, how how we do that and how we reframe this is by asking the audience to be really open in our thinking and trying our absolute best, this is a tough one, to move beyond our own situations and experiences. And it's 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 difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. I'm I'm a I'm a proactive coaching fan. I am glued to your social media channels quite a bit and you consistently publish solid core principles of being a good teammate and those thread discussions are never without those those kind of automatic responses that present some parents actively redirecting or distracting from the basic principle 
or message that you're trying to express. It appears as if there's always this unavoidable force of the what about isms that demand that we shift the focus away from the responsibility of the athlete and always talk about the coach's role, which proactive coaching talks about the coaching role all the time. It's almost as if we don't want to talk about these things in isolation. And if proactive coaching isn't all things to all people, then there's holes. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, it, that it's a frust- it's a frustrating thing. I know for, for coaches to take a look at, um, but you know, it's, it's saying, well, sure. Proactive coaching, the athlete, you know, it, it, they may need to behave this way, but it's the coach's job to make the kid behave that way. And if they aren't, they're a bad coach and they aren't putting in the effort. This is where I know it to be a fact that coaches are the most exhausted trying to explain this. But I think this is where we tend to see so much of our political polarization as a society kind of bleed into our ability to discuss the most benign topics. And redirection or distraction is a pretty classic form of debate that ultimately it's pretty fragile, but even more detrimental because we have adults participating loudly and openly teaching our young athletes how to stray from focusing on their role and placing responsibility elsewhere. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. So let's do this together. Let's help kind of re-steer the ship to better understand how we break this down to reframe elimination from a team as another form of care. As listeners, I want you to first ask yourself, what kind of team you as an athlete or as the parent of an athlete, would you want your athlete to compete on? That's the first question. So let's start, Bruce, with some pretty traditional aspects and characteristics of a team that are likely to be universally attractive for an athlete or a parent of an athlete to have their child compete on. Um, A few obvious bullet points you can throw in any, I'll say first, a team that has a positive culture. What would be one of your attributes, Bruce? where people understand what good teammates are and how they treat each other, relationship commitments. Fantastic. Um, I'll say a team that hosts a supportive environment that works together and values one another. And you would say? I would say I would go along with that and say that all roles have value, regardless of ability, that there's roles that you can play that will add value to your team. Wonderful. So given those bullets that you and I have just kind of impromptu spit out on the fly. Bruce, would you agree with me that we may not find parents or athletes that think those characteristics are uninviting? You know, <laughs> I, Becky, from what I've learned and what, you, what you've talked about, I, there will be some. <laughs> <laughs> okay. enough, but but enough. really, no, not anybody with, with normal common sense. Okay, okay, fair. So, <laughs> so let's take that, those bullets, and the next direction I want to head, head to is asking what kind of attributes you would want in a coach for a team. And as our listeners think about the coach side of this question, I want them to keep in mind the attributes that we just labeled out for the team, because anyone who puts stock in the team factors that we just listed, they're likely going to want a coach that aligns with those as well. Correct? Correct. So that means uh, let's all start. Uh, a coach who cares for their players as people, and you would say? A coach who could be trusted uh, based upon their personal character. Excellent. And I would say a coach who is aware of importance of the culture, both building and protecting it. And I would add in, I would add in there, uh, 
competent in their ability to teach both the game and the athlete, whatever age they were and whatever ability they were. Great. So my emphasis is on these two gateway questions to parents and athletes. And it's to show that we all start off with the more obvious attributes we want in a team and coach. And it can be relatively universal to start. But let's talk about what happens to those preferred priorities once we talk about the finality of an athlete being cut from the roster. And here's what we miss. Here's what I want us all to understand. All of the preferred points for both team and coach that you and I just mentioned cannot exist. It cannot coexist without the possibilities of endings. Sports has that as well. Teams have that as well. Coaches who are protective of their cultures and care for their players as people and are solid teachers of the game, as you just mentioned, must also make decisions concerning endings for certain players. And it's the same with the team. The team that works together and values one another it's really difficult to produce results or establish connectivity when they have a player who's not on board or is rejecting standards of the program. This can actually equal a potentially premature ending to a season. So despite us acknowledging together, Bruce, and highlighting the really important attributes of desired programs, when reality strikes that an athlete is being eliminated, we suddenly attempt to renegotiate these factors. And I think this is where the damage occurs, right? right? So you want to coach in a team that cares about culture, but a disruptive athlete who refused to get on board even after efforts have been made is damaging. Now, this is a really easy sentence to say when it isn't your child. So, yep. so let's say now for, for our listeners, Let's say now that this is your child who's the one being cut, either cut from tryouts and not making the team successfully skill-based or because they've exhibited behaviors that do not align with the team culture. So what do we do? We go through a process. The first thing we might think, uh, my child is hurt. They're being eliminated. They're no longer part of this unit. It's upsetting. Then we bargain. This can't be my child's fault. Why did the coach not work harder to help them? Why does this program not understand what playing this sport means to my child. How will this affect him or her? These are real questions that parents have, but this is a really tough journey to be on, and I want to recognize that the ending is a hurtful part of the process and that it doesn't feel good. I understand that as a coach. Coaches typically understand this. Now I want to invite you into a space that's going to be difficult for many parents listening, but here are your steps. So when an athlete has been eliminated due to behavioral infractions, the first thing we want to do, we want to be on their side because we love them. But let's prioritize growth and support and development because you care for them. I need you to stay as neutral as you possibly can and ask questions from a place of love and information gathering rather than offering the appearance that we are collecting ammunition to hold someone accountable for your athlete's immediate feelings because they're absolutely allowed to feel the things all the things without it being anyone's fault so in this moment i ask that you give your athlete some time before you start asking questions but initially be supportive of the emotions they're having before we go on the offensive so after you give your athlete a cooling off period whatever they may be you know your child best here are some questions to consider 
and reflect on with your athlete. Are we ready, Bruce? Yes. So first, I want you to empathize with how hurtful it must be to be let go from a team. You can empathize that way. Level with them in recognizing the difficulty because you really need so much more of a picture to be drawn before you can actually help. The chances are really high that you don't have an accurate picture of it. So an athlete says, mom, dad, I was cut from the team because coach said I violated team rules and it isn't fair. Parent, okay, can you tell me more about which rules and what kind of behaviors were involved or policies that were violated? And the second would be, were there any previous steps, conversations or meetings that you had with coach about this possible outcome? And the third is, if I asked coach, would they give me the same answer you just did? So again, chances are, if your child plays for a decent coach, it, chances are high this wasn't a one-swoop decision, and it's likely your athlete may not have shared all the information, but I want you to be kind in their admissions being so limited because they may have hidden this from you. Mm-hmm. So the next question, do you think that there are any behaviors that you could have changed to be a better teammate? And these aren't easy, and you don't ever want your child to feel like you aren't on their side. And that's why it's just easier to to look for information to blame another factor. I get it. Um, but these are all just examples of questions that can help with dialogue that are neutral and that support growth rather than us turning the focus back on solely the coach. So the other athlete, we have another kind of athlete that says, I got cut from the team after tryouts. I didn't make it. So again, after the cooling off period and initial emotions, okay, can you tell me what specifically coach shared that you needed to work on to improve if you were interested in trying out next year? Are there things that we can help you to improve upon if you wanna try out in the future? Is there more work you can do to help with this? Is there something this is, the, this is a big one. Is there something that you are no longer going to be doing? If this is something you're no longer going to be doing, what are some other doors we can help you open outside of this sport or sports in general? What else have you not had the time for because of this dedication that you really love? So for both kinds of athletes exiting a team, there's also this reframing of the language. And this is a big one for a closer. It's, I know you're hurt. This could be something that doesn't feel good for a while, but we're going to get through it. There is so much value in going through something like this, and you'll be stronger from it. Now, if all of this right now, if parents are like, I can't even do that. I just, I just want to hug my kid. I just want to help them. I understand. If all of this dialogue and these questions seems wildly unhelpful and it's not for you, and it's not something you're interested in committing to trying, my last appeal to you as a parent, myself, would be to ask you to go into these conversations offering some internal consideration to how many times in your athlete's future life outside of sports there are going to be endings. Because Bruce, you and I know there's going to be an abundance of endings. They may be fired from a job, removed from a project, passed over for a promotion, fail an exam, fail their LSATs, rejected from a relationship or have to sever any kind of previous connection they may have thought was permanent. So specifically, 
at the high school levels and college age, sports feels so big. And you and I know that in life, sports is a small part of the journey, but ending, the endings that sports offers can be such an amazing dress rehearsal to arm your athlete to cope with many more of the impactful losses that await our young people. So, so parents, if you can foster this 10,000 foot perspective at a time when you just want to fix things for your athletes, this active support for self-reflection as opposed to blame, I think we'll be in a much different situation than our teams and coaches are currently in. So that is my fearless advice to you in that conversation. Unbelievably great advice. I hope you have those written down somewhere, Becky. I, 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 you know, if you haven't, and it needs to be part of your overall book that hopefully you're going to be finishing one of Still these days. Still working on it. <laughs> um, just do a chapter at a time. <laughs> just just yeah. knock out a chapter at a time. Writing a book is a daunting task, but a chapter is very doable. And, you know, just, just your idea of endings are a great life lesson that you can learn through sport because it doesn't involve death. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you know, there's just, there's just so many things and endings and it, and it all comes to an end at some point. I just had two former players of mine um, who are head now head high school basketball coaches, both take their team undefeated all the way to the state championship game and then lose. And, you know, the ending there, it was going to end whether they won or lost. But the way that it ended for both of them, they both reached out and, and you know, talked about how can we do this. And just the fact that, you know, the value of the athletes is not tied to the outcome of any single game kind of a thing. But, boy, what a great life lesson that all coaches, especially those coaching at a level where, Ability is going to eliminate kids from the game. Um, endings are, boy, that would be a great life lesson. I think that's something unbelievably valuable that um, that you could get written. Uh, you know, Bruce, it's interesting that when you when you talk about that, and, and if it's skill based, and athletes being eliminated from teams or cut from tryouts, and you know, when I do any type of home visits with any of my recruits, it's funny because most of them or crossover athletes and I would say I would say that it's safe to say that probably 75 to 80 percent of them have some kind of youth soccer photo on the mantle mm-hmm. and they they at one point competed in soccer uh, and it's almost like all of them had some type of it has such a reach that sport has such a reach and and they they tried it they didn't like it anymore and they decided that they were going to opt for another sport or um it got to a higher level where they just weren't able to compete like there's you know the the experience in the photo is still there there's there's the the pain that they feel from from being eliminated it's the same um the the conversation always happens oh how long did you play soccer oh i played soccer for about 13 years and i just had to leave it there it wasn't it wasn't my thing anymore um they get over it Mm-hmm. And and he, he, even even as 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 children too, at a younger age, it really just depends on how how they view it. They're like, you know, I moved on to something else, and I found uh, you know another sport that really lit me up, and and it, I put more of my energy there. So um, it doesn't always have to be. I think it's it's it, a good example. It's a little dark, but it's almost like uh, how we handle 
the, the death of a pet. Yeah. You know, how we handle that in, in, in preparation for um, an, a, a death of a human being. If we don't talk about it and we just glaze over it and it, we just move on with life, it, it's, it's almost like a lesson lost. So when we have these lessons that are posed to us and we have dress rehearsals in sports, what a fantastic way to be able to have the conversation about endings with your, with your child or with your athlete. Your, your thoughts for parents were so powerful um, and very honestly, just common sense if they can sit back and step back and look at the bigger picture. And the ability to do that is, is what makes some parents so successful with their kids. It, they don't get caught up in the small, deep picture of my kid's not winning, my kid's not starting. They see the bigger picture and all these things. And you're, those were all big picture questions. Those were excellent. And then, you know, it's, Bruce, it's so valuable to be able to have those conversations from more of an investigative side rather than stating it's asking questions. It's curious over furious. You know, Becky Burley, formerly at the University of Florida, the soccer coach there for many years, would always say it's it's more fruitful for you to be curious over furious when you're you're having these conversations. And of course, you can be furious inside for your child, and 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 we can acknowledge those emotions with full empathy, without enabling their ability to turn the finger to point to someone else and first have them examine their role in that dismissal or the role in having to let go. So I think there's a huge correlation between our ability to ask questions and not become so immersed in our next action item because it's not necessarily an action item. Sometimes we need to do nothing. And that's the hardest thing to do sometimes is nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, Becky, I cannot thank you enough for your wisdom and your the clarity with which you provide the wisdom. I love that. I, I love that you're willing to take on tough topics because coaching is not easy. I think coaching is probably more difficult now than it ever was during my career. You know, and as, as we work with young coaches and trying to keep them in profession, all these things are, are things that are they're going to have to face at some point. So I love I love the fact that you take on tough topics and take them head on. And Fearless Coach is a is a perfect name for your organization. So uh, I, I cannot thank you enough. And this was might have been one of the most important topics that we've ever we've ever discussed on our podcast. Appreciate it so much, Bruce. Thanks for having me.